Well, today we're continuing our study of what it looks like to live the generous life. And the reason why I believe that this study is worth the price of your attention is because of a couple things that I know about every single one of you, and we talked about them in week one. The first thing that I know about you is this, that you value generosity. What I mean by that is this, that generous or generosity is a good word in your mind and in your heart. And if someone was to consider you to be a generous person, that's something that you believe would be a good thing, a good attribute to have. You value generosity. I know that about you. The other thing that I know about you, because it's true for me as well, is that it's hard to be generous. And let me be real. I know that for some people, it's easier to be generous than for others. I get that. Some of us are better at this than other people. Some of you are able to be really generous with the people who live in your home, your immediate family. But for people you don't know, you have a harder time being generous. For some of you, you find it very easy to be generous with your time, but harder to be generous with your finances. For others of you, it's the exact opposite. Um, you could write a check to help someone out, but you find it hard to be generous with your time and your emotional investment in people. And, and the reason why it's hard to be generous and the reason why every single one of us need to work on it in one way or another is because all of us are hardwired. We call it in Bible terms, a sinful nature, we are hardwired to naturally think about ourselves first and other people after that. And this is something that we continually have to fight against, that it is more easy for us, more natural to live close-handed rather than to live open-handed. And this is why a study about the generous life is so important. Um, in week one, we established kind of the foundation on which the generous life should be built. The foundation on which you and I can grow the generous life. And this is what we said. We said that amazing generosity will grow out of amazing grace or amazing generosity flows out of or responds from a recognition of amazing grace. Let me tell you something about amazing grace. You and I in the room and online, we are recipients of the greatest love and generosity that the world has ever known. That we have a God who in spite of our failures, who in spite of our sins, decided to set up a rescue plan to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. We have a God who sent his son and a savior named Jesus, God's own son, who was willing to not just leave the glories of heaven, but to actually choose to give up his life and to be for a time forsaken by God himself to experience the depths of hell, you know why? So that you and I, as we put our trust in him, would not have to. He would be our perfect substitute. That is the epitome 
of amazing grace. And when you and I realize that, well, that we receive the greatest gift ever, we now are able to live in a way. We're able to live with a mindset that our lives have new purpose and new opportunity (laughs) to respond to that grace. And I'll call it generosity by being generous towards other people. Amazing generosity flows out of amazing grace. Well, as we get into the content for today, I want to share with you uh, something that happened to me. I guess it's over 10 years ago now. And in fact, I've, some of you have heard this story before. But uh, when we first moved into our last home, uh, a few weeks after moving in, we decided to do just some, some extra cleaning and things. And one of my jobs was to just wipe down the doors and the door frames of the house and everything. And so as I was wiping off the top of a door frame, all of a sudden, I noticed something fall to the floor. I picked it up and it was a piece of metal about this big, had a little curly cue on the end. I had honestly no idea what it was for. In fact, my first reaction was it looked like a piece of copper that maybe an electrician, you know, not thinking, just kind of set it up there or something like that. And over the next few days, I I found about two or three other door frames that had this little piece of metal on the top of the door. I had no idea what it was for. So I threw it away. I threw them away. A few months later, um, our youngest daughter, who was a toddler at the time, she accidentally locked herself into the bathroom. And as we're trying to help her understand how to unlock the door, she wasn't getting it. And so she started to get fearful. She started crying. She started bawling. So at this point, I'm looking all over the place for something to fit in the little hole in the handle of the door to pop open the lock. Something that was, well, just about the same size as those little pieces of metal that had been on the top of the door frame, because that's exactly what they were for. They were there, or you didn't have to keep them there, but they were made to pop open a lock from the outside, and I had thrown them all away. Now, long story short, after scrambling for a while, I cut off the end of a Q-tip that fit, you know, right in there, popped it open. Um, Our daughter has since 10 years ago been out of the bathroom. She's not not still in there. That's good. But as I look back on that, as I think about that, this truth came to my mind. And that is that when you don't understand what something is for, you're not going to value it or use it in the way it was intended. And this can be true with lots of different tools. In fact, this leads us to our first fill-in for today, that a tool is worthless if you don't understand the difference it can make. And maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement from this perspective. It may not be totally worthless, but a tool will never live up to its original purpose or fulfill the, the purpose that it was given if you don't understand the difference it can make. I didn't understand what those little pieces of metal were for. And so I threw them away. As you think about your life, I want you to know that God has given every single one of you some tools to use, to make use of. 
Um, these tools are your time and your resources. Not all of us have the same amount of time. We not all of us have the same amount of resources, but we've all been giving something. And the question I think that God puts on our heart today and that we owe it to ourselves to ask as we consider how to use the amount of time of life that we have left is this. Do you understand the difference that these time and resources can make? Or are we going through life just kind of reacting to things without thinking about the big picture and the difference we can make with the tools that God has given us to manage. Today we're going to take a look at a story that Jesus told specifically about money. Now, here's something that I'm pretty sure about, that most of you didn't get up today thinking, you know what? I really hope that when we go to church today, there's going to be a sermon about money. I just love those sermons about money. Or if you're brand new today online or in the room, I, I'm guessing the conversation this morning did not go like this. Hey, hon, what church do we want to try today? Well, why don't you look to see if anyone's talking about money? That's the church we should try today. I get that. I understand that. There's something that goes up, some defenses that go up in our hearts when, when people talk about money or when churches do. And I get it because actually sometimes churches have done a bad job of talking about money. Here's why I think it's important for us to talk about this. It's not because we're launching a brand new capital campaign that none of you knew about before today. And it's not because North Cross is in some sort of financial difficulty right now. We're, we're very blessed. The reason why it's important for us to talk about money is because Jesus talked about money a lot. And he understood that we are able to better live out our lives and also have a proper relationship with God when we better understand a proper relationship with our time and our resources. And so with that, we're gonna look, like I said, at a parable or a story that Jesus told to teach about perspective on time and specifically about money. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Here's the story Jesus told. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So much like you might hire a financial advisor today, um, probably even more in depth, back in the first century, uh, people with means would hire someone to manage their finances. Uh, sometimes that person would be called a steward. It's where we kind of get that churchy word, maybe some of you have heard before, the word stewardship. It's the management of what you have. So in this story, there was a rich man who had a manager who was wasting what he had. Verse two. So the master called in the manager and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. So again, the, the rich man heard about this mismanagement and he decides, you know what? It, it's time for me to get a new manager. I'm going to, to fire this manager. And he tells him, I want you to get the books together. I want you to finish out whatever you're working on. And I want you to bring then the books in 
and you're not going to be my manager any longer. This manager had a little bit of time left to be able to manage the things of his master. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what am I going to do? What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So the manager is recognizing that unemployment is on the horizon and that things are going to be difficult. And he thinks, okay, I've got a couple options. I can do hard labor. I don't think I'm strong enough for that. I could beg. I don't want to do that. So what should I do? I got it. I'm going to use the stuff that I'm managing for the master in the little bit of time that I have in a way that will make a difference in the future. Or to say it a different way, here's the question that the manager asked himself. How can I use what I've been given for this short period of time, short because he was going to be fired, to make a difference for me in the future. So what did he do? Verse five. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 of gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So it's a... Uh, Black Friday sale on debt, okay? He connects with one of the debtors and says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come on in? I want to talk to you about a deal I have for you. Instead of owing 900 gallons of olive oil, I'm going to cut that in half. You only owe now 450. And of course, of course, the debtor's like, yeah, this is awesome. I'll take half of the debt. Thank you. Thank you for what you just did for me. And the manager's thinking, yep, I'm glad he's thankful because pretty soon I'm going to be out of a job and I hope he remembers me and this kind thing that I did. Verse seven. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. So it's the very same thing. Someone owed a lot of money. The manager who was still in charge of what the master had given him to take care of decided to make a decision in the present that would benefit him in the future. Here's the question What do you think about the manager? What do you think of the manager's actions? I think our initial reaction is, this is why he's getting fired. It's not very good what this manager is doing. <clears throat> he's cheating the master out of the things that he has. And as they're listening to this story, I can almost guarantee you that they think they know where the rest of the story is going to go. Well, let's see where it goes. Verse 8. 
the master come back, comes back, they get together, and the master commended the dishonest manager. I want to pause there. When Jesus told a parable, he told parables for one specific reason. There was one point to each parable. Jesus was not saying that it's okay for people to be dishonest when they are taking care of someone's things. You see, this manager is still going to get fired. He is still, as it says, dishonest. But the master, and, and Jesus is trying to grab people's attention. He wants to get them thinking, right? Just like you're wondering right now, where is this parable going, right? The manager commended the dishon or the master commended the dishonest manager because not because he was dishonest, but because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. He commended the manager's ingenuity, his shrewdness. His wisdom in thinking, okay, I have some things at my disposal. They're the masters. They're not mine. Soon they're going to be taken away from me. I've got a short amount of time. What Jesus commended is how he acted in the moment, not just with the moment in mind, but with the big picture in mind. You see, the manager had a little bit of time. He had a little bit of opportunity and what Jesus commended in this parable, what the master commended, was someone who would manage what they have entrusted to them to make a difference in the future. There are parallels here for us. You see, what's true about you is this, that you've been given some time. And we honestly don't know how much time that is. Could be a month. It could be a year. It could be 50 years. But you've been given some time. You've been given today, right? You've also been given some resources. For some of you, that's more than for others. But we all have been given these tools of time and resources. And the question that Jesus is leading us to with this parable is this question that every single one of us need to ask ourselves. Are you using your time and resources with the big picture in mind? Have you thought about how you can use these tools to make a difference, not just for today and for satisfaction right now, but they, can you use, can you, have you thought about how you can use them to make a difference in the future? But you see, again, as we think about how we're hardwired and our sinful natures and just the way we naturally think, number two, our, our natural assumption, if we don't take time to think about it, is that it's mine. So it's all for my consumption. Our natural assumption, if we don't, press pause to think about it is that it's all for our consumption and that the greatest purpose of the tool of resources, if we don't take time to think about it, is that our money is a tool for consumption. How can I, I use what I've been given to have 
a better life, a fuller life, uh, a funner life, if that's a word and it's not. Uh, what occupation do I choose based on how much I make so that I can have a better life, a fuller life, a funner life? And in fact, Americans have gotten really good at even spending money that they don't have. It's called credit cards. The average family household has about $16,000 of consumer debt, which means that we're really good at living in the moment without thinking a lot about the future. Our natural assumption is that it's all there for our consumption. And I want to be really clear today because I don't want there to be guilt where there doesn't need to be guilt. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home in a nice neighborhood. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. In fact, if you have those means, God is the first giver and he's given them to you to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy them. It's not about whether we can have a nice home or a nice life. The question is, how important has that become? And have you decided, have you made room for considering that maybe what we've been given, there's a higher purpose for it than just my own consumption? It is not wrong to have nice things, but when that becomes the focus of our hearts, our minds, our discussion, what we can get with what we have rather than what we can give what we have, then there might be an opportunity or need for a heart check. And just consider, am I using these tools with the proper focus and emphasis in mind? See, the thing is, I don't know if, if you've found this to be true too, that very few things that we've purchased of this earth actually live up to what we thought the joy they would give. They, they almost always just sort of become something we get used to. They very rarely give us the impact that we thought about. If you were to come to my house and I would take you downstairs, um, if I were to go in the closet under the stairs and take out a couple boxes that are right there, um, and, and then after I've removed those boxes, pull out some suitcases that we store there, and then the, the five sleeping bags that we have there, and then a big tub of, of sheets and pillows for when we have company. And you know this is five, 10 minutes later as I'm pulling all this stuff out. Then I'd need to pull out a tub of costumes that the kids used to use for Halloween and a tub of old toys that I don't know why we still have. And, and then if I were to, to keep pulling a box out of uh, VHS tapes, uh, young people, I can explain what that means uh, a little bit later. Pull those out. And, and then as I pull all that out and go around the corner, you'll see three boxes. And if, you know, you blow the dust off them and open them up, you'll find what was my greatest treasure as a young person, my baseball card collection. And when I was a kid, I thought of allowance and even my job as a kid in terms of what baseball cards I could buy. It was all about consumption and it was about baseball and basketball cards. And where are they now? 
It took me about five minutes to explain how to get to them. And they haven't been opened in years. And I know that's an extreme example, but in, in many ways, just about every earthly thing that we buy or purchase kind of has some similarities to that. That the drive for using what we have to simply consume things, at some point, it leaves us feeling a little bit hollow that we've been created for something bigger than that, that we've been entrusted by the master to take care of some, so his things and to think about it through the terms of the bigger picture. So where was Jesus leading with all of this? What is that bigger picture? What was his point? Verse nine says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So what Jesus is saying is that we should be generous so that we can buy friendships? That's what it sounds like. That's not at all what he's saying. You notice here he's talking about gaining friends for eternity. How does someone get to eternity? You know, only by faith in Jesus. He's not at all talking about friends. He's talking about how can you use your time and your resources so that as you use them, they are used to help other people understand who Jesus is, understand the hope of the gospel, and someday be in heaven with you. How can you use what you've been given to make an impact that lasts longer than this life actually into eternity? That's what Jesus is teaching about. that little wire thing above the doorframe, it was good to recognize what it was really for, the purpose behind it. For what we've been given, number three, money is a tool. Have you thought about this? And if you have, let's think about it again. That can be used to make an eternal difference. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I thought Jesus is the one who makes an eternal difference. He absolutely is. In fact, when it comes to thinking about the big picture, I mean, Jesus' life is the absolute best example of this. See, when, when he came to this earth, as we've talked about over and over again, he gave up the glories of heaven. He lived in poverty. The, thing, the Son of God had far less, way less, than what even the poorest American has. He lived in poverty because he understood that he was here to make a bigger difference, an eternal difference. And I also want you just to think about um, the other ways that Jesus was generous. You think about how he healed people, about how he fed people, um, he comforted people, he took care of them, and so there are lots of ways that you and I can give back and be a blessing to people from an earthly perspective. I think of the, the Christmas gift basket initiative. And it's good to bless people with their earthly things, their earthly needs. It's, it's a way to love on them. 
But when you look at Jesus, that wasn't his ultimate reason or his ultimate purpose. It was always leading to the bigger picture. Yes, I'm gonna give you your sight back, but I would rather through that for you to be able to see something else, that I'm the son of God and that God loves you in a bigger way than just giving you earthly things that ultimately through me, through Jesus, he gives you eternity. Let's go back to verse nine. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I want to just camp out on that for a second. And I don't know that we all are going to experience this. Um, And it's certainly not the reason that we should be generous in and of itself. But Jesus did want to get us thinking about this, that someday when you're in heaven, there could be someone who comes up to you and maybe you don't even recognize them. They say, hey, Ben, I just want you to know that I'm in heaven in part because of you and your grill. Like, what? My, my grill? Yeah, you see, when I was a teenager, I got invited to a youth group uh, Uh, cookout at your house. And through that interaction at youth group, um, I came to know about Jesus. And my faith grew over time and, and I'm in heaven in part because of you and how you used your grill that day. Or maybe it's someone that you don't even recognize. And Jesus is kind of having us picture this, that someone comes up to you and say, hey, um, I know you don't know me, but did you go to North Cross? Yeah, I thought so. I just want to thank you that because of your offerings, in part, I got to know that Jesus was my savior. Because through the ministry at that church is where I first learned about who Jesus is or I grew in my faith or whatever it might be. And once again, we don't do this to get those sorts of accolades by no means. We do this as a response. But this is the type of thing that Jesus wants us to think about, to inspire us with, that we can use our time and our resources to make a difference that lasts into eternity. And so the question that I want you to ask yourself this week as we apply this to our lives is this. How can I be generous in a way that makes an eternal difference? How can I use what I have now to make an impact that will last into eternity? And the truth is that this type of thinking is not only isolated to our offerings, but you can think about it in terms of everything you have. Think about your house. How can I use my house to make an eternal difference in people's lives as maybe I host a growth group or I allow someone who's hurting to to come and to stay the evening there or um, something else as showing hospitality to to people. Uh, You can do this with your your grill, (laughs) with your snowblower as you blow off someone's um, driveway in the middle of a snowstorm so that when they get home, they they realize and, and recognize your love and as you love on them, it's not about you, 
we do good deeds to show glory to our Father in heaven. There's so many different ways that we can use what we have as tools to make a big difference. You see, you've been given some time, you've been given some resources. The question is, how can I be generous in a way that makes an eternal difference? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your amazing generosity through which not only do you take care of us on a day-to-day, but that you've given us something greater, a home in heaven through your son, Jesus. And so Lord, now as as we get to, to sit in just the joy of grace, help each one of us to consider what we've been given, the little bit of time, the little bit of resources and Help us to to manage that in a way that brings glory to you and ultimately might allow others to know about you as our Lord and Savior. To that end, Lord, we pray for your blessing and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.